This is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 284. All right, everyone. So usually when I go and visit Raid Studios, I'm going to be seeing Sam Noir or maybe Shane Heron. or Maybe I'll hang out with Dax. But today we have the real privilege of having the what's what's the right title? The the managing director of Raid, the boss himself, the Eisner and Har- Harvey Award winning artist, Ramon Perez. Thank you for coming to the show. How are you? Oh, my pleasure, man. I usually call myself Cat Herder. That's usually <laughs> what I uh, usually go with. <laughs> I know. It's good, man. It's good. I'm having a, a good a good week. It's, you know, the campaign launched, and uh, it's a nice quiet night here at the studio. Great. That's so. Is that is that Andy in the background working? Sorry, I'm snooping behind no, you. No, that's uh, Andy uh, Dorland. I'm Dorland, sure. yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, have you met him? Yes, he's been on the show with uh, Sam when they did oh, Valley nice. Skilling. Nice. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, it's great news. Uh, Cuckoo Berry's doing really, really well. And so it's a weird question that I wanted to start with, but, (laughs) but for the, I mean, it's a strange thing to ask, especially nowadays, but you know what? Creatively, how free do you feel right now? Oh, I feel uh, amazing. It's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting year. I mean, we just came out of the pandemic i guess we're still on you know parts of it still going on but i think a lot of people took time to reflect on things and uh took time to themselves um i never really stopped but it actually put a lot of things into perspective and you know i've been doing freelance work now for 25 years if not more and uh and then I've been working for like mainstream comics, like, you know, Marvel, DC, all that kind of stuff for at least a solid decade. Before that, I would like dabble here and there. Like I did a couple of jobs, like a, a one shot for DC, a couple of issues for Marvel before I really became uh, quite, uh, I guess, steady in the mainstream working like predominantly for Marvel, but doing covers for IDW, Dark Horse, and a few other places. And comics is a lot of work and I love comics and, you know, but doing a monthly book and, you know, cheers to the guys out there who, who hustle on the monthlies, you know, cause it's, it's a drain. Uh, and when, when I mean a drain, it's just like, you're just putting a lot of hours into these books and, um, you know, it's a lot of hard work. And after doing that for 10 years and just kind of putting aside my own projects for 10 years, uh, it's actually really refreshing to kind of, come back home if you will to to actually let loose on my own stuff it's not to say that i haven't had opportunity over the 10 years like i've done great projects like tale of sand uh jane uh, a few other one shots for marvel that i you know i had a, a lot of fun on but sometimes you know when you're when you're hustling away and trying to make ends meet uh you're often constrained by deadlines and and uh, what do you call it uh just uh, you know, you, you can't take all the liberties you want to because you know you're you're constrained by a, a script or an editor or just a timeline for that matter. Yeah. So it's actually really nice just to to look forward to uh, diving in and you know not to say I, I'm I'm still working on Stillwater for Skybound for another year still. So I, I'm I'm kind of making a crossover transition where I'm kind of weaning off of one and going into another one. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I've, it's kind of like reinvigorated my, uh, enthusiasm for drawing again, which is, it's, um, it's, it's, it's been, you know, more work than, than play. Now I'm looking forward to more play than work, if you will, if that makes any sense. No, totally. Well, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing because it like, it comes full circle for you now because, uh, Cuckoo Berry was one of the things that you worked on. It was one of your like babies, if you will. Right. Yeah. Before... yeah it was one of my early ones. Yeah. 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 So before the the Tales of San and the Eisner and getting to work on basically anything that if you wanted to you kind of had your pick of the litter from my for the most part yeah right? yeah yeah no it's like you know I, I worked I, I've had the great opportunity to work on like Spider Man Fantastic Four X Men uh, you know Alpha Flight uh, Captain America like like you name it. I've drawn it and I've, I've had a great time. I worked with such great writers as Dan Slott and uh, um, uh, Jason Aaron, uh, Jeff Lemire, you know, like all these guys putting out great scripts and collaborating with them and working with Chip Zdarsky right now. Um, but it's always different when you do your own thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that really shows in your work, I think, when you get to play and set your own rules and boundaries, which, you know, I had that opportunity with Tale of Stand to a degree because I was adapting an existing work that while it was a screenplay, it was a screenplay, it was like written for the film. So it was, it was my job to take it apart, restructure it and make it work in comic book form. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with Jane Eyre, where I worked with a, uh, an established writer but she worked in film so you know when we collaborated on that book i just said write a screenplay and i'll i'll change it into a comic because she was like how do i write for a comic and i'm like you do what you do best which is tell a story right for film and i will then take that and restructure it for a comic book or a graphic novel if you will right so that and those kind of projects were a lot of fun you know there there are times when like you know on amazing spider-man i would work with dan and uh he would give me like a marvel style script where he'd be like uh yeah there's a big fight this issue for 20 you know 15 pages and the other five this happens and i'd be like okay this is cool like you get to kind of fudge around with things it's a little bit more loose and a little more open to interpretation um so like it it has occurred throughout my career but there's like i said there's nothing sweeter than you know working on your own stuff and, and putting it out there and you know just going wherever your whimsy takes you really yeah no, that's yeah. cool that you get to come back to it now with the accolades, yeah. with the like a proven name, and no one there. It's almost like, well, why wouldn't I buy this if it's Ramon Perez doing it? Right? <laughs> I hope they're thinking that. <laughs> well, I mean, even with something like Tales of Sand, which I wanted to get into that down mm-hmm. down the road, but it's not a book that is the strength of it isn't necessarily the words. I mean, there's words in it. But the strength of that book is your storytelling and your art. And oh, thanks, man. When you got that script, I guess we could, mm-hmm. since we're there, let's get into it. When you received <laughs> let's go it, there, right? Um, what did you think when you read it? I mean, I, I remember when I first got the script, uh, I was auditioning for the book um, along with a couple of other artists. And um, so they gave me like two pages, I think, or something that are three pages. And they're like, yeah, can you draw a sample from this? And I was like, okay, but um, I'm like, and they were also like trying to gauge my interest on like the three pages. And I was like, can I, can I like actually get the whole script? Cause this is like, if you want me to dedicate a year of my life, I need to read more than just like, you know, five pages or something. So the editor was super kind. He was like, yeah, okay, no problem. You know, just please don't spread this around. And they gave me the whole script. 
And I remember reading uh, about three quarters of it before I agreed to the book. I was, I was busy with other work. So, you know, I would chip away at it. And I, would, I remember reading it going, this is, I mean, can I swear here? Yeah, I was like, this is, this, this thing is fucked. Like this yeah. is like, this is like a, a bizarre <laughs> script. Right. And, but I loved it. Like it was, it was interesting. It was weird. Yeah. It reminded me of, um, uh, like I, I could be I'm definitely dating myself with this, uh, these movie references, but like Pink Floyd's the wall yeah. or, um, the monkeys did a movie called head, yeah. uh, back in the sixties, uh, seventies. And, uh, these movies were really psychedelic. They were very interpretive. They were very political, uh, but they were also really weird. Like I remember like the monkeys movie, uh, head, uh, started off with the, the main four characters dying and then going on this psychedelic trip. So, um uh yeah it was so like but something about it grabbed me and it was funny because a few of my colleagues at the time were um suggesting that like cause i had another job offer at the same time they were like you should do this other one it pays better it, it you know it, it it's uh, a little more high profile who, who really cares about henson anymore and i was like I, I mean i was a big fan of henson i was you know grew up on the muppets and you know, dark crystal and that sort of thing, but I never really saw his experimental stuff till I got this script. And I was just like, the gut was like, no, let's do this. And the, the as weird as the story was, I was like, this feels right. And I, I think when I, when I, when we were doing press junkets at the time, I, I told people, I was like, this is my interpretation of his script. This isn't necessarily his script as he saw it because no one can do that but Jim. Right. Like this is me and taking something he wrote and interpreting it through my own um, experiences and uh, and life ambitions, whatever it was like. I I definitely got a picture of Jim as he was writing it and creating it, maybe what he was thinking while he was working on it. And I I imbued that into how I interpreted the storyline for um the graphic novel so like i definitely tweak things here and there i left visual clues that necessarily weren't in the script i there were additions by me trying to trying to create a narrative that is embedded in what i did you know what i mean so it was a very interesting project and like liberating and amazing because i remember my editor at the time uh uh he was amazing because he kind of like shielded me from the bigger company um interference and he was kind of let me go free and, and do what I want to do. And he even said a couple of times, he's like, I don't know what the hell you're doing, but this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I trust you. So we'll, we'll keep at it. And I was like, all right, I mean, this is a God bless you. You know, it, it was, it was amazing. But um, yeah, so it, it was, it was quite wonderful to work on that storyline. Because, okay. I'm happy to hear that you, you, when you read the script, you kind of felt how I felt reading it because <laughs> yeah. I, I was i knew it was special like every i mean it's unnecessary to repeat it but it, it's an award winner for a reason but as i'm reading it i, I just want to keep seeing what's happening and i i heard you say um on another podcast how if you just flip through that book without the words and you're done in no time you didn't really experience it mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't rush through it. I mean, you can read a graphic novel in an hour, right? A 120-page graphic novel, oh, depending yeah, on how it's sure, written. Yeah. But with, in th- with this, literally, there isn't that many words. 
Now, I'm not a big fan of digital comics, but I read it Mm -hmm. digitally. And the good thing that it does for this book is that you can really zero in on all the panels. Oh, okay. Right? And you can see, like, shots where it's just the character's profile on this bigger piece with numerous panels. So Uh, it kind of serviced the book in a way. And I chose to listen to, like, psychedelic, psychedelic jazz as I listened. Oh, nice. Because I, I felt like, yeah, I said, I don't know what's going on, but th- I, there has to be something playing to kind of feel what this character feels like. It was quite a journey. Well, well it's interesting because in the script, in the screenplay, um, Jim had a lot of musical references put in. Right? Okay. And then his the short film that I referenced of his uh, called Timepiece, it was like an eight-minute short film that you can find on YouTube these days. And I think it was Oscar nominated as well. Wow. Um, that short film, like, and a, a, plus a, a whole bunch of other little shorts, uh, the Henson Company gave me to kind of like ingest and, and experience. He loved playing with sound, movements, and visuals like color, right? So, you know, that was one of my biggest hurdles with the script because, you know, you get this the screenplay with all these references to, to movement and sound. And I'm like, okay, I got to make this book kinetic and you know feel like you're not like the character's never stopping like it's it's like almost like you hit a domino on the first page and it kind of just keeps going mm-hmm. but at the same time i also had to figure out how do i express music in essentially a silent medium you know what i mean because the yeah. music's only going to be in your head yeah right um so i tried to do that with color um you know, and have the color be the music. So if you actually were to lay the, the book out back to back, like every page, you'd actually see a bit of a, a, a color score, if you will, that kind of like would ebb and flow wow. with the story. It would go from like monotone to full color to yes, saturated yes. To, to, to different things, right? But definitely I was, you know, I was listening to like weird, you know, jazz and different things while working on it too. Like I find, I think, a lot of artists might actually work, you know, have a little soundtrack in their heads as they're working on, on projects. But yeah, that was a definitely a big hurdle with uh, tackling uh, Tale of Sand, but also supremely satisfying when you know people get it and they look at it and or like yourself, they're like, "Well, I got to listen to this while I'm, I'm <laughs> reading," you know, this kind of thing, right? And but it's a fascinating book because over the years, like that was almost a decade ago, I think now. Um, uh, I've received so many fans, uh, you know, complimenting me on the work, but also like fascinating to hear their interpretation of the story. Cause everyone's different. There's like yeah. the person who, who read it in, you know, five minutes is like, Oh, it was a, looked pretty, but I, you know, I, I got through it in like 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, well you didn't really read it. You, you, you might've enjoyed it. You might've, you know, flipped through it and enjoyed the visuals to a degree. I mean, you know, spend 20 seconds on a page, but uh, but then you have other people who were like, yeah, I couldn't put it down for hours. I soaked in every page and like, this is the meaning I got out of it. And I'm like, this is fascinating. It's like, it's like a, a book that's like a, a Rorschach, Rorschach, uh, Rorschach, I can't pronounce it. Yeah, uh, Rorschach test. test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stupid word. <You> know? <laughs> no, it's it's true. And as I was, go- I wasn't sure if it was like uh, in the beginning, someone just going through their life, the sands of time of, of their life. Was this their... A psychedelic trip before they get to the you know the next over the line once the race is done it was cool and 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 what was in this person's head of whatever they were going through through these deserts and when they find those moments of an perhaps an oasis 
Mm-hmm. What where did that come from in them? It was very mm-hmm. interesting, but there is no explanation. Like there isn't No. It's it is really personal, which I mean, you know, yeah. people always talk about the silent issues. Mm-hmm. Um like the, the famous G.I. Joe one. Oh yeah. I right. love that one as a kid. You got and then and usually when a character dies, like I remember the uh the Fantastic Four when, when Johnny Storm is supposedly dead mm-hmm. or when Damien dies like these are powerful moments but you did a yeah. whole book essentially <laughs> there there is yeah. there it's it's pretty much the ultimate silent comic if you will yeah i mean i love i i loved it cuz it allowed you to it really came down to almost like uh, cuz i think at the time i i was actually also looking at a lot of like old buster keaton uh, film, silent film, see, you know, because, you know, they all emoted through exaggerated physicality, you know what I mean? It's almost like to a comedic exaggeration, but uh, I love the idea of just going full silent in a, in a graphic novel or a comic book and, and letting the visuals uh, play out everything, every small nuance or whatever it might be. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, a fun challenge I easily, easily accepted because I, uh, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. That G.I. Joe issue you mentioned was like one of my favorite as a kid, you know. I hear people t- talk about it all the time. <laughs> like People who've been lifelong comic book fans they, and they read that issue, They it's almost like, I, I forget which one it is, like in the 20s or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember the number. They're, they did it twice, actually. I think once was in an annual and one, once was in a, a comic, if I recall correctly. And yeah, I mean, I think as a kid, because you're reading it, there's no words. You're yeah. you have you're lingering on the art that much more. You're getting into the scene that much more. I feel like these days a lot of people read comics. They just go from word bubble to word bubble, and they kind of peripherally take in the artwork. I'm but they're really just reading the word bubbles. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think when you remove the words, you have you have no other choice but to then sit there and kind of immerse yourself slowly in the artwork and actually absorb that story visually yeah. and taking all the little nuances that might be in the background, the foreground, the care, whatever it might be. Right. And, and I think that's something that just doesn't happen enough in, in comics these days. Uh, but yeah, I loved, I love that aspect of it. Love doing it. And I would, you know, do that again. No problem. I'm actually working on a, uh, a larger graphic novel, hopefully to release in like 2024 where, it's actually going to be a mostly a silent uh, graphic novel as well. So we'll, we'll see. I love that. I love that challenge. So, you know, if you can actually emote something without any words. Yeah. You know, what did, what did you learn from yourself when you did tale of sand? Like as far as did it force you to grow as an artist in those months more than anything else? I mean, for sure. I think, uh, I think it, taught me a f- uh, definitely a few things like it taught me to trust myself because uh, mm-hmm. up until that point I was always kind of like uh, holding myself back a little bit working on other people's scripts and stuff I was still, I was still doing good work mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion but you're, I felt constrained by other people like you know oh, I'm like oh I'm, I'm just the new guy I have to follow what they're saying to a T I didn't really kind of go too crazy um, but uh, so it definitely taught me to trust myself and I think the journey it took me on was what I felt was is weird because what I saw in the screenplay, what Jim wrote, which was a kind of like he was in a weird, he was an interesting place in his in his um, career because he hadn't done any of the Dark Crystal, any of those movies at all. He had only 
I think maybe just begun to toy with some Muppet work, like on Johnny Carson, some late night TV shows with like Rolf as a puppet. So like the Muppets hadn't hit, none of that stuff, Sesame Street hadn't hit. So he was just really just experimenting and doing uh, shorts and, and different things. And I, for me, I found uh, like the, what I saw in Tale of Sand, which was kind of an expanded version of Timepiece, which is, they kind of both have a similar feel to them in the sense of what I think he was trying to explore, which was kind of the banality of existence where you feel kind of trapped and cyclical, cyclical and you're kind of, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, you know, you're trying to get ahead, but you know, you're, you're unable to, you're not getting that big break, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And I kind of felt the same around the time when I was working on the graphic novel because you know, I was trying to get into comics for years, but no one was giving me the, the time of day. You know, I was working in other mediums like children's books, advertising, editorial, which was fine. I learned a lot, but um, so it, it definitely felt like a hustle. I was trying to get different places and I could kind of sense that in this screenplay, the, the character Mac, who is trapped in the cycle of life and unable to get out. And, you know, some of the detours put in his way are, uh, those of other people, but a lot of the a lot of the detours and walls put up are also by himself, mm. and and this is kind of what I began to see. And, and as I saw that, I was like, you know what? Like I, I kind of kept putting myself in this in the same shoes. It was it was very weird. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, it definitely like opened my eyes to a different, uh, you know, like you know, you know, you know, hustle to approach the hustle a little bit differently. To you know, really put my own uh, self forward in, in in projects and different things so it was a, it was definitely a learning experience and enlightening and obviously like you said it won awards so it definitely opened up a lot of doors yeah as well allowing me to play in in different sandboxes so with that in mind now what did you what were you able to did you ever say to your friends who were like yeah you shouldn't go for that go for this instead did you ever have that uh revisit that yeah, conversation good. To, for for people's careers and stuff, you mean like no? Because you said you had some friends who were saying, you know, leave this project oh, and go do see, this gotcha. one instead. But the one that you went with your gut is the one that had dividends, right? Yeah, I never, I never, I never told them. <laughs> I, I told, I told you so. But um, they definitely came up afterwards. They're like, okay, wow, you made the you made the right choice. And you know, sometimes you you know you take a chance. You don't know if it's going to turn out. Of course. Right? Of course. Um, I had no idea the book was going to be, you know, as well received as it was. It was just me given the opportunity to do something that, you know, I'd never done before, basically. And kudos to Arkea, the company at the time, where they allowed me to that opportunity. Like, they could have got, like, a, a lot of the other people on that list who they were approaching were bit, far bigger names than I were hmm. was at the time. So... Um, they, they, in conjunction with the Henson company had to like agree on the artist and, uh, I was the one they agreed on. And so the book could have gone many different ways. There's actually a companion book to Tale of Sand and, uh, you can actually see some of the other artists interpretations in that book. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it just, it was definitely a big turning point, um, in where I went and what I did, you know what I mean? And it took me on a, a journey of a decade, essentially. That's cool. Know. Yeah. I mean, it's a perfect example. I think there are many, but there are. This one is is a perfect one to to give to someone to say this is, 
what you can do with comics. Like this is something that comics can do that you will never be able to really translate to a television screen. And I know it was meant for the screen, but the way you mm. what you did with the script, it's it's mm. it's it can never be duplicated now. No, it, it definitely lives in the medium yeah. of comics. The way I mean, you could obviously reinterpret it in different ways into film or, or whatever it might be. But I think in it's in the the way it is now. Yeah, it lives in a certain way, basically. Yeah. And uh, I know for a while they were actually trying to shop around the screenplay after the success of the book. They were toying with trying to get it made, but uh, with no success. I think they got the same rebuttal that Jim got, you know, back in the sixties. Mm, yeah. <laughs> They're like too weird. No thanks. <laughs> but it's it's absolutely perfect for for yeah. what you did with it. Like that's that's the way it should exist in a way. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, when when did you fall in love with comics? Hey, that's an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I came to comic books, like North American comics, late. I grew up on a lot of. Um, I read a lot of newspaper strips growing up, so for me, it was a lot of Calvin and Hobbes, Hagar uh, uh, the Horrible Garfield, uh, some European stuff that my parents would bring. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't get to, into like North American comics, but I think it was like grade eight or nine, I think it was. And I was at a variety store and a buddy of mine was buying comics and, and I was kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I had a few dollars in my pocket from, uh, you know, my allowance, whatever it was. And so I ended up buying, I think it was, if I recall, I think the ones I, the first ones I bought myself were, uh, ElfQuest which was under the Epic label at the time. And I think it was like West Coast Avengers was starring Hawkeye. And I can't remember if there was like one more, I think. And, and from that moment on, I was hooked for the next probably decade or more. I mean, I'm still hooked, but I don't read as much as I used to. Um, but yeah, and then like, as I discovered more and more artists, more and more creators like Magnola, Arthur Adams, uh, you know, the Vertigo, Vertigo imprint with like Sandman, Shade the Changing Man, all that stuff and you know Mazzucchelli's year one um yeah that stuff just like blew me more away with every every book I picked up so and then seeing different artists and how they uh began to use the medium um was also you know kind of in, in, informative and exciting as well right like you know it's, it's one thing to read comics but then when you start breaking it down to see how else you can play with it and you know I think my education for storytelling was not comics. It was more film. I was more of a film kid than I was a comics kid. So um, I think I, a lot of my, the way I break and change my, my storytelling and, and stuff like that, I use a lot of film shots or references or the way things, so like, you know, but yeah, I just, at one point I just couldn't get enough and I started doing my own web comics and, you know, creating my own graphic novels and different things, right? So all the pacing and humor and whatever it is, it's uh, it's been around. It's been an obsession for a good <laughs> good thirty <laughs> years, probably. Were, were there <laughs> any? More. Were there a lineup of artists for you who you just you marveled? No pun intended, but you like. How did they do that in this amount of space? Like, what is it that they're? That... Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had definitely. Um, well, like the names I mentioned just earlier, uh, I love like Arthur Adams was like one of the first guys that blew me away as a kid. 
um, Barry Windsor Smith, uh, Mignola, um, Alan Davis. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, a couple of the early X Men guys. I'm blanking on their names right now. Um, Cockrum, Burn. Uh, Burn definitely, yeah. Like I love Burn's work. Cockrum as well. Like Cockrum grew on me. He was a, more of a later appreciation. Uh, but he definitely grew on me because I, I read a lot of the old uh, at the time when I was a kid. There was a classic X Men comic mm-hmm. where they reprinted a lot of his work. And there was uh, uh, Paul. Was it Paul Smith? I think was that yeah, one? yeah, yeah. He was Paul there too. Smith. So like all these guys, and then like I began to discover like guys like Duncan Fergredo later on, and um, Chris Piccolo, mm. you know, through through Sandman and Shade the Changing Man, and. Um, yeah, like I'm always like picking up new guys that just you know blow me away all the time from you know like current guys like James Heron, um, and uh, oh geez, like um, oh, what's his name? Um, he does. Uh, I'm totally blanking on his name right now. Uh, it'll come to me. He'll come to me. <laughs> what's he working on? He, oh, right now, well, he I think he's he just finished. I think he was just doing a better race series for marvel uh, daniel warren johnson yeah daniel warren johnson oh, yeah, i love him exactly. yeah. yeah so his work you know and um yeah but there's yeah so many i'm probably missing and then i also like you know i, I also dove into like illustration work so i loved like guys like um you know well, geez, what's his name now uh, uh, he did all the covers for like pulp magazines um it's funny, my brain's a bit fried for running a Kickstarter. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, but anyways, yeah, so like all this stuff, you know, I had great parents who like, you know, uh, my mother was very supportive of the arts, so she'd always introduce me to different things through magazines and and uh, and books as well and put me in art classes. So I got a good exposure to a variety of stuff, right? But yeah, those guys I mentioned earlier were the ones in comics that just kind of took me in like on a journey and blew me away, you know? Were you uh, art like... I find with the difference between artists and writers when I interview them and talk to them, it's a lot of artists will follow things, not so much because that was a classic storyline, but it was like, I wanted to see this artist do what they were doing with these characters. Was that something that you followed more or were you also like... for sure. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Like, especially in the early days, like... I mean, I, I did follow comics just for certain characters. Like, I, I read West Coast Avengers for years, and the art on that book was, like, horrible for years. I, like, I have no idea why, I, you know? But there was something about it. Like, even Alpha Flight. Like, I read Alpha Flight for years, and, you know, Alpha Flight started off amazing with John Byrne, but then, it, you know, it devolved into a variety of different artists. Some were great. Like, Jim Lee made his first Marvel break on right. Alpha Flight, but then you had other guys. I'm like, how are these guys getting work? Like, what's going on here? Like and but you know i was i was sticking to the characters but for the most part yeah i did follow artists especially uh when i was in my college years where um i got really invested in you know different art like travis charay or um uh mike driggenberg uh gatos uh different guys though i did also like you know i did get hooked on certain books where the art was always evolving like Sandman, but the, the narrative was so great. The story was so well done that I could not, not read that book. So there definitely, you know, I followed the story. Like if it, if it was a horrible story and like, there were a couple like, I mean, people are going to probably crucify me for saying this, but there's a few series where like when I started reading spawn, like I loved McFarlane when he was on 
um, Hulk and different plays. But once he started writing for himself, like I was like, this guy cannot write, you know, like, <laughs> the early, the early spawn stuff is, is pretty weak. And, um, I quickly dropped it. Like, you know, same with when Lee was writing for himself, like the early image stuff looked pretty, but you know, and I followed, I jumped on that bandwagon, but then I was like, man, like I cannot read these. This stuff is like, it's, it's, it's just so shallow. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to get crucified for that one, but you know, it was fun. Like I read it, but, but when you're reading stuff like Sandman right after you pick up and, you know, read an issue of a, a image spawn or the pit or whatever it might be, you're, a totally different reading experience right um and uh you know so i i definitely would drop certain artists if the story wasn't up to snuff right you know like you can only you can only really pretty art only takes you so far you know what i mean and uh you know as much as i love following a good artist around the story also has to be uh, fairly solid if i'm going to keep returning to that book or whatever it might be you know yeah even the art in a in a comic like there's certain artists who might not be the best pinup guy or uh, mm-hmm. the best cover guy but when it comes to the storytelling that they do there's just something that they capture that they're just right for the book and and when you're immersed in the story of it it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be as pretty as a jim lee because so there's are better no, for right? sure, yeah. there are better storytellers it's just yeah. how it goes. And then there's some guys oh, that yeah. you want on your cover. Like that's yeah. two different art forms. I used to have arguments with guys all the time. It's like you can be a great artist but a horrible storyteller. Yes. And, you know, people are like, well, no, what do you mean? I'm like, no, you could have like, for example, like Travis Charest, love his artwork. Storytelling, he's not the strongest at it. Like he's okay. But they're like, I remember picking up a couple of issues with uh, Wildcats when he was on it. And I remember like at one point I was like, turning some pages going what the what the fuck just happened here like i have no idea what happened between page two and five something happened not a clue what actually happened you know what i mean where then you have guys like mazzucchelli who's just a brilliant storyteller you know or even guys like sergio aragones who just like you know it's comedy but there's life there's it's interesting you know um and then you know there's tons of great books i read over the years like um uh uh why the last man which you know it's a great read and you know the 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 art is good it's not you know blow you away great but you know pia is is a solid artist and she's a solid storyteller right and she gets the the gist of the story across basically yeah it's an important marriage like Mm -hmm. when you when you have actual dialogue that needs to be transferred but also I, i remember it was uh now his name is escaping me. Um, <laughs> Howard Chaikin. Yeah, yeah. Howard, Howard Chaikin. Yeah, yeah. He ex- he was just explaining how that blank piece of paper is time traveling. Now mm-hmm. you got to decide in those panels how quick you're gonna make things happen every time you yeah. turn that page. And it made me just kind of appreciate looking at the page sometimes because I am I'm guilty of you know sometimes skimming through it. And just reading mm-hmm. the word bubbles because you're you're trapped in the story, but then mm-hmm. you don't. If you just looked at, if you took the words away, like is this making any sense? And sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it's no. like yeah. Chris Somney's a good example of a person who paces a page oh, out. Yeah, yeah, Chris is amazing. So good, yeah. right? So you yeah. really can yeah. see like Mark Wade doesn't have to write much <laughs> on that yeah, page, right. right? Yeah, no, and I think I think with a, a good. 
a team, you have that balance. You have that, you know, I think there's a lot of imbalanced comics where it's a lot of heavy dialogue crammed into pages upon pages. And you're just literally, you're just seeing word balloons on the page. You know, if I, when I was a kid, like if I picked up half the comics I did now, I'd be like, look at all the word balloons and go, no, thanks. Like it's, it's like too much reading. I'd read a novel if I want to read this many words. <laughs> right. That's what <laughs> it know? feels like sometimes when you pick up a X-Men book from Claremont, it's like, why don't yeah. I just read the novel? Thank you very much. It's so true, but it's part of its charm. Um, speaking speaking of like good teams, you and Chip have a good thing going with Stillwater. I know that you guys have worked together on other projects and are you know studio mates from early days of Raid. But how yeah. has been the journey of working on uh, Stillwater, which is in the horror thriller genre, right? Yeah, no, no. It's, I love I love tackling different uh, genres because um, you got so much fun with you know how you pace the story, how you uh, develop characters. And, you know, I feel every story has its own kind of visual voice. And I try to kind of manipulate my style as much as I can to kind of suit how I tell that story. Um, so, like, yeah, my approach to Stillwater is very different than my approach to, like, say, Tale of Sand. Mm-hmm. Um, or a superhero book, for that matter. Um, but, yeah, no, working with Chip is uh, we collaborated on the uh, uh, thing two-in-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, series and then we did that we did that one shot with uh, Trudeau on the cover and uh, now it's still wanted so yeah it's been a it's been interesting to collaborate with him on different genres uh, but yeah when he asked me to come on board uh, Stillwater and I had just come off uh, a couple of smaller uh, Marvel gigs and I was I was definitely interested intrigued by his, his script we sat down had a coffee and he kind of explained like the whole slow burn story the horror aspect the kind of i call it twin peaksy kind of kind of vibe um but yeah no and and after i read the script i was like oh i'm definitely on board and and i love the idea of like a challenging new new genre um i think the biggest hurdle for me was uh i'd never been on an ongoing series that long um so because i think the most up to that point i'd done was Hawkeye, which was at eleven issues. Mm-hmm. So you know, you, you, to sit down and commit for, you know, uh, two to three to four years worth of work is 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 quite a bit. So, um, but you know, I, I like the I like the premise and the the kind of uh, vibe and, and like I said, the the, the slow burn, the, the character building to the elements of horror. It was very different, very different kind of story to tell. So once I you know, I, I came on board. It was then just figuring out how to tackle um, the story and make it work for me and mm-hmm. for, you know, the actual script as well. So, like, yeah, I approached it in a very different manner, very, very classically and um, uh, with almost uh, a repetitive uh, nature because I wanted to get that kind of small town mm-hmm. vibe across where, like, nothing changes, everything is the same. So you got the same you know, the same, so you come out the door, it's the same building across the street from you, you know, the same view down, down the way. So, uh, it was, and then when you, the weird shit happens, then you kind of break that pattern and you mm-hmm. make it feel, so it feels more uncomfortable, um, when that happens. Whereas unlike, you know, whereas Tale of Sand, the whole thing is breaking pattern. Right. So right. when something normal happens, it feels odd. You know what I mean? So it was kind of the opposite approach. To that so it's definitely been an interesting run to try to to tell this kind of a story 
Does it have, I don't know if you can share this or not, but does it have a, a finite amount of issues planned for it? Or is there like sort of trap doors oh, yeah. set up in case yeah. you need to finish it early or keep it going longer? Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, Chip always had a finite uh, story planned. Okay. Um, it, we had a couple of like ending points where we could have ended if, you know, the story wasn't doing great or if, the, you know, the, it wasn't being well received. Uh, but it was, and then we continued on and... We're actually have about a year left to go on the arc. I think it was announced actually by Skybound. Uh, the the arc we're going to be uh, that just started up again this month is the um, actually today. I think it came out today. Issue number thirteen um, is the the final arc basically of the of the of Stillwater. So I got a we got about a year to go on it and uh, tell that story. That's cool. It's it's yeah, been a yeah. lot of fun, and I can. I mean, I don't know if this is how a lot of uh, writers and artists are approaching projects today, especially when they don't have to be on DC or Marvel books, but you, you feel that it could be a television show and one that would be easily addictive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it definitely has a very episodic, very television kind of vibe to it in the sense that you're you're building up to something bigger. It's not necessarily a, a Per issue arc, uh, you know, as most superhero comics are, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're chipping away at a bigger story with a bigger kind of uh, shadow being cast over everything. So, so yeah, I know it's, it's 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 been awesome to kind of work on something this this kind of a, a larger vision uh, that Chip had with the project. Yeah, and it'll it'll be something I think that people will want to like. It, it'll have a because it doesn't necess- It takes place throughout time as you're reading mm-hmm. it yeah. it has a timelessness to it so whenever yeah. it'll be oh, yeah. on a shelf in different collected formats you'll never it'll never feel outdated because of the way that it's presented yeah that's the hope we're, we're, we're it's definitely because yeah you're in a town that's stuck in time right or out of or out of time depending on how you look at it um i think it'll definitely be the best the best reading experience will be when you have like that one fat hardcover yeah that has the entire run in it and you can just sit down and enjoy the story from beginning to end basically yeah it'll be a great right now we have like two trades out and mm-hmm. there'll probably be like a third or a fourth uh in total uh but i think it'll live quite nicely as just one nice book on the shelf yeah and that and there's yeah. a whole market for that like people love those oh, yeah. compendiums and those big collected you know that shelf yeah. porn right we want to have something <laughs> yeah. nice looking on the like shelf behind you there yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> Um, but so you got still water that's going on, but the exciting stuff happening for you right now is the Cuckoo Berry Kickstarter that you launched. It's being yeah. funded. This is your baby. Tell us, uh, tell the listeners about Cuckoo Berry and why they got to back it. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I started Cuckoo Berry way back in 2007 and along myself and a bunch of other creators like Carl Kershaw, Cameron Stewart, Michael Cho, we launched a, a web comics initiative called uh, Transition X, which was quite out of the ordinary at the time. Not so out of the ordinary now, but back then, having professionals work on comics online was kind of a new thing. And uh, we were really trying to push the envelope and get our stories out there and do, do different and u- unique things, basically. And yeah, Cookerberry ran until about 2011-ish, 2012-ish, around there somewhere. And it kind of unfortunately uh, got shelved for me when, you know, the career took off in a different direction. And, you know, 
for a while I became a Marvel exclusive artist and you know people don't realize the time you have when you're when you're doing a webcomic that you're doing two to three pages sorry you're doing two to three days of work every day for you know one page or two pages you know because you're coloring you're writing you're doing everything mm-hmm. and um it, it was quite um you know it, it was difficult just to maintain i tried a couple of times updated a little bit then failed and so now you know i've had my 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 full run if you will and now i'm excited to return to to the book you know i, I updated briefly online again just before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit not kind of threw another curveball into the scenario but uh when i designed kookaburi back uh back when i first started it it was always meant to live as a book that's why it's square the dimensions are not meant for i see or tv i mean sorry they're not meant for uh, the web or monitors or, or they can maybe live on a phone now but even the iphone came out like two two three years after we started uh the web comics um so uh i'm ex- i'm really excited to actually because it's being like it's one of those things that you you you, you it'd be like building a house and only building it halfway you know yeah what I mean? you're like you're like i want to finish this I, I i created this world these characters i know the ending like the ending is like it's all essentially written and i know how it ends and it's just this burning desire to actually share that journey of these characters with you know the readers the fans and you know, the, the Kookaburi is such a fun world. Like, I created it as a way, you know, the, it was a twofold thing. I wanted to tell a story, a certain kind of a story, but I also wanted to create a world where I could do whatever I wanted, basically. I could just play. And anything I wanted to make sense would make sense. And that was the kind of liberating feeling of doing uh, Kookaburi. So um, it's just nice to come back to something, especially after you know, doing a lot of like superhero stuff or real world stuff. It's like where everything has to make sense to a degree. I, I'm kind of re-entering a dream realm of, of ridiculousness and uh, psychedelica where I can, you know, anything goes. So I'm really excited to kind of return to the book, uh, finish the story. And like when I say finish, the book that's online right now for the Kickstarter is not finishing the uh, the story. It's just the beginning of like probably five volumes of about uh 160 pages each because uh the the story is plotted to be about 600 pages um but i always find you'll you'll deviate a little bit as you draw and things always expand a little bit um so right now i'm saying 600 i'm saying five volumes but it could you know go a little bit longer or whatever it might be but right now so basically what i'm doing with with this volume is taking the first chunk of the webcomic, but I'm also adding about 40 to 50 new pages to round out the story to make it make uh, a little bit more, um, to make it more fluid on the, on the, in the book form, basically. Because mm-hmm. when you, when you do, when you create something on, on the web, you're, 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 you're working in a different manner of trying to hook your reader. So every page is kind of like you want them to come back tomorrow or two days later, whatever you're, update schedule is right so it's it's a very staccato kind of uh beat whereas uh i want the story to be a bit more lyrical uh and you know kind of ebb and flow so um i'm going to be adding more pages in to kind of give it that feeling because the early especially the early the the first like 80 pages or 60 pages are very much like a, like a, a machine gun going off with like 
hooks and things, which was great for the web when I was updating, you know, once a week. But now I'm like, wow, I read it now. I'm like, it's like someone's like, you know, punching you in the face repeatedly. So I'm like, okay, we need to like calm this down a little bit. And, you know, I have 10 years more experience now as a storyteller. So I can go back in there and kind of massage it a little bit nicer mm. and really make the story uh, a sing. So uh, people who pick up this book, especially old readers, will will get a, a whole new expanded picture of this uh, colorful story and with these colorful characters, weird characters and, and different things. So and then, you know, hopefully, you know, they they're excited enough to kind of join the ride and have another four or five volumes of, of this amazing uh, journey that this character goes on, Nadia, the main character. Um, and it's just, the, you know, the, all the other characters are just, like, pulled out of dreams and weird and fun. And Tell me and about the things. world that Nadia is in, like, the, the premise yeah. of Cuckoo Berry. Uh, well, she's, uh, she falls into a world, like, I don't want to re- re- reveal too much because we don't quite, we haven't revealed what the world is quite yet in the comic, but... Uh, what we we do know so far is basically she's she's kind of inadvertently stumbled stumbled into this this world um, not by her choice and um, this world where she's landed kind of feeds off her subconscious it feeds off mm. her memories her her um, her own personal stories her imagination so for better or for worse right. Uh, these little thoughts that are lingering in her head, her memories are kind of uh, taking on, they're materializing in this world, whether they be nightmares or whether they be cute, cuddly things. Um, and she's kind of like in the middle of this overwhelming scenario. At first, it's like wonderful. It's great. You know, it's, it's out of the ordinary. You're like, wow, this is gorgeous. And then suddenly it becomes nightmarish and she kind of meets this uh, I, I, adversary who I jokingly call Mr. Bones because he's like a skeleton in a, a two-piece suit. And um, he begins manipulating her and her uh, interaction with the world to kind of achieve his own end, which you kind of start getting snippets in uh, in the latter half of what's on the web right now. So... Um, a lot of that stuff will be revealed uh, in volume two. We're going to be adding a bit more to volume one, like I said, with the extra pages, which will help um, uh, inform readers a little more about the world. Uh, but I don't want to spoil too much because I, I, you know, I, it's like watching too much of a trailer. I don't want to yeah, know too yeah. much. I want people to enjoy the story. But um, it's definitely, uh, you know, as a, as an individual, she she fell out of a, a routine world. And into this kind of uh, beautiful, endless dreamscape which, where anything is possible, which sounds blissful and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then uh, turns out not so much. And sometimes, you know, she might she might be in store for more responsibility than she was in the real world, uh, wow. so to speak. You know what I mean? So it, it's a fun ride. And I love the characters. And I'm looking forward to expanding on all the cast, which are we have these um, this, this uh, gentleman battalion of creatures of like. Uh, I can't even name them what they are because one looks like a marshmallow. The other one is like a little monster with uh, one eye, like a like an ogre. And then you have a quadrupus, like an octopus <laughs> with four legs. So there's all kinds of weird yeah, creatures. Yeah. Some, you know what I mean? Some come from my childhood drawings. Other ones come from different places. Um, but they're they're all fun and unique. So I'm looking forward to actually 
building and uh, and sharing this journey of uh, of Nadia's in, in this real world, in this dream world that she's kind of entered, which uh, I call the in between, and uh, we'll like find it. out more about that in uh, in the volume that's up there right now. So <laughs> I like it. I like that the in between. It's it's all ages, right? But it sounds like one yeah. of those all ages things that have a lot of potential. And yeah, it's, it's definitely like uh, I'd say it's all ages as a, and it's a fun, colorful story. Um, and there's no like obviously no um, foul language or anything like that. And uh, but it is, I compare it to a, Dis- a Disney movie from the 80s or early 90s where it's right. like there's some dark elements. You know, we, we she you know her, the, char- the main character Nadia lost her parents when she was young. So like you, you kind of see a little bit of that through her memories. Uh, so there is a bit of a darker edge to it, but nothing darker than, you know, Bambi's dad getting shot. <laughs> right, right, right. You know right. what I mean? It's like, um, <laughs> so it, it, it's all there. It, so it's, I feel like it's a, it's a story that can be enjoyed on many levels. Like I remember when I was um, first updating it uh, online back in the day, uh, I would often get a lot of fan mail from parents who were reading it with their kids and they were, you know, telling me how much, how much they were enjoying the story, but also how much they're, their young six-year-old was also enjoying the story because the, mm. you know the, the six-year-old seeing the characters and the colorful things and the, the wackiness and you know the it's just brightly colored and saturated but then the parent also gets the the uh the the the, the fuller theme the, mm-hmm. the different things you know what i mean there's a surface adventure and then there's a layer below and then the layer below that you know so i feel like it's a it's a it's a story that can be enjoyed parents and their kids or like adults on their own. So, you know, a good story is a good story. My hope. Yeah. And it's, and it's so refreshing to hear how excited and, and like dedicated you are to like the vision because you're oh, saying yeah. it's six, 600 pages. This is the story. Did you know when you were making the web that you had it planned out that way or is it something? Oh that, yeah. So yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from back, then, way back then it was always planned to be about that long. That's you know, cool. online there's about 200 pages just shy of, you know, so we're about a third of the way through the story. And, um, yeah, it was always planned as, uh, I originally planned as three volumes, but I'm kind of shifting it around to smaller volumes just to make it easier to create. Cause to, you know, for me to disappear into a 300 page book, you wouldn't see me for a few years. Right. Right. You know, right. So I feel it's a little <laughs> bit easier to, to disappear for, you know, and do like uh, one book a year. And that's my, my whole plan is to do a one book a year for the next several years as I, let the story unfold yeah it's a, it's a good idea and it's a smart time to do it because you've got the established credentials and you're coming up with an original idea that people will probably want to say like let, what else do you want to do with this property that well, you've that's the hope right like you know like i hope uh you know it has a life of its own people enjoy it if it goes different places amazing you know i love doing comics that's my thing so i have a bunch of other stories i want to tell Mm-hmm. You know, I'm writing a few graphic novels. I've got a couple other series in mind, but, you know, one at a time and get to them as I will. But uh, Cuckooberry right now is the, the main the main plate at the dinner table. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the month, hopefully, to, you know, get, you know, the, the cool thing about having it on a Kickstarter is you, my, my hope anyways is it's actually, you know, obviously you're funding a book and stuff like that, but the, the beauty of it is, you're introducing all these people to something new, something different. And uh, the, my hope is just the potential of new readers to kind of enjoy this book, you know, cause it is something I started a long time ago and I'm, you know, 
I have a lot of great fans who are returning and picking up the book and, you know, curious to see how things evolve. But my hope is also that there's going to be a whole new slew of people who discover this through Kickstarter uh, and our online store and whatever it might be and, you know, enjoy it in this new form. And, mm. um, and then next year when I actually do book two, uh, I'll start updating the webcomic at the same time. So it will be available for free if people want to read it that way, but then also um, in book format as well. That's where it's cool. kind of meant to live, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, you guys are doing really cool things at Raid. Uh, I Thanks, wanted to, to ask you a little bit about that because of the care that you guys put towards even just the production of the books that you guys are making between Dax Dax's uh, Forest Folk and mm-hmm. the Raid anthologies and what you have planned for this one very unique like it there's they're special it's not just like this is how raid does it they're all this trip size <laughs> like what made you want yeah, to get into the we're... the publishing side of things i mean like I, this, I, this is something i've been doing in different ways my mm-hmm. entire life before i even entered comics like when i was at my local comic shop i i created my own comic and zine and you know put it on their shelf and they they sold it for me as you know it was like a little anthology with different i got local artists do different stories i love i've always been just the the guy doing indie stuff and um you know before kookaburi online i did butternut squash with uh, my buddy rob and so uh, i i love the idea of just sharing stories and and getting them out there in people's hands and it just seemed like a natural progression it's, it's, this is something i've been wanting to do for for decades and um you know kickstarter has been around now for since 2009 i think uh and then in canada where we are and this is 2013 so uh, almost a solid decade so it's something i've been wanting to do for a while and just everything kind of lined up you know we have a great team here at the studio a very supportive team we have great guys like uh sam noir who who helps out with every campaign guys like kyle who do our our campaign videos and um all that stuff and just designing books is it's actually what I went to school for. It's, mm. you know, I didn't go to school for comics. I went to uh, for school to, for book design. So it's actually fun for me now to like play and, and do different things in print and that's cool and different things. Yeah. So like we, we try to make sure that every book has its own special vibe, whether it's the anthology, whether it's Forest Folk from Dax, whether it's mine and all the other books to come. Like, you know, these are books that we want them to live on the shelf. We want them to be special. We just we don't have to, we don't want them to be just a trade paperback collection on the yeah. shelf. Like we want it to like as soon as you open the book, you're entering an experience and that's cool and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's a narrative even in the in the the way we we put in the credits or whatever it might be. Right. So it's all those little flares. I think we try to do to make the, each each volume special. Basically, it's kind of like what what we used to enjoy about vinyl. Right, the whole packaging of it—if it was done right and you got you pulled out the sleeve and it would—you engage with the album on a different level. Sure, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when you put the, the vinyl down, you had the yeah. liner, you had everything. You're looking at, it. especially if you got like a gatefold album, you're like, oh, right you're there. You're just like looking at it, whatever it might be, and it's like a total experience, right? And then throwing um, some lyrics on it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. You're doing everything. So, you got it all. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Like you know, and you know, because. In a day and age where people can read things online to no end, and you know, I've done the same thing. I've read tons of comics online, whether it be through web comics or Marvel Unlimited and stuff like that. Uh, but I think there's such a joy with sitting back in your chair 
right. uh, reading a book, you know, it's a different experience than reading it online. And, and I think after like after two years of living online, like a lot of people mm. are, are maybe are maybe more a little bit more open to returning, you know, stepping away from the screen and, you know, just indulging in uh, a good old fashioned paperback or hardcover. Yeah, I agree. It, it changed how I I was always reading, you know, single issues or those little quick mm-hmm. quick little trades. But then yep. I wanted to just read things in like a more patient. Let me stay with this sort of story <laughs> yeah. a little longer and read it in a yeah, in a yeah. bigger collection. So I like and you guys are doing these nice little sets where you where like Dax is going to have his three piece uh, the the trilogy. You're talking yep. about six volumes. Is six five to six six hundred pages? Five worth? to five to six. So yeah, right now it's uh, I think one two uh, about five. I'm saying five for now. It could change as I get closer to the end. You never know where it might shift. But right now, I think it's estimated at five for about six hundred pages or so. Um, but yeah, I know we try. Like you know, and uh, you know, we have a lot of the other great creators here at uh, at Raid who are doing their different stories as well. We're like we literally have about two years worth of Kickstarters planned. Like it's that's great. It's crazy. Like we have so many great and talented people here doing so many great stories, and just wanting to get them out there to share with with an audience. And uh, you know, by kind of building this team here, we're here to support each other. We're here to like you know raise all ships, if you will. Right. And uh, you know, our goal is to get these books out there and get them to people and through Kickstarter and then through, you know, our own store. But then also, you know, we're looking to get into diamond, get into comic shops as well. Like mm-hmm. we're not looking to we're not looking for you know, we're never gonna be a Marvel. We're not looking to be a Marvel, but you know, something like if I'm you know, if we're like an ad house or a top shelf where we do like, you know, a select number of books every year and get them out to people and build an audience who, who loves what we do that's that's all we can ask really yeah i think to be quite honest with you the other than a lot of the nostalgic stuff that gets reprinted all the time in, in these nice omnibus or whatever i think people are getting tired of the same old same old right and they yeah, want I and mean, they want to yeah. see creators work on the stuff that they're really enjoying oh yeah you can see it like when you see uh, some of these guys on their image books or whatever it might be. And they're like just doing crazy things. Cause you know, they're having fun. This is like their That's playground, right. their That's story. Right. They're either writing and drawing it themselves or they're have a close relationship with the writer and they're just creating a world and a journey and, you know, a, a saga for, you know, readers to dive into and enjoy, which I think is just wonderful. Like I'm glad to see over the past, you know, whatever, two decades that there's so much more variety in comics you know like you know image 15 years ago was struggling like it barely you know if you if you sold four thousand copies at image you were lucky back then you know that was a bestseller but now it's like that's like a low seller <laughs> you know at, at image and it's just great to see this this audience has opened up and is accepting of you know reading horror fantasy yeah. sci-fi you know slice of life romance whatever it might be you know like there's so many great stories to tell and, and to tell them well in comics. It's just nice to see. It's not just superheroes anymore. No, exactly. Like, I love superheroes and you can do so much with them. Yeah. Um, but so much has been but done. There's so much more, you know what I mean? Yeah. And especially when you have very creative uh, guys who do interesting things with the medium as well, you know, it's, it's always a joy to see what they want to do next. Yeah. When yeah. you started with Raid or when you joined, it was 17 years ago. 
I joined uh, 2006, so whatever the hell that is. <laughs> Almost. 17, 16 years ago, yeah. Something Around like that. there. And now where you yeah. see where, where you've taken you've, – you've, it can be said you've kind of taken it there now. Like did you ever – when did you have that vision to say we can – this can be even more? Uh, I, I mean I started steering the ship a little bit maybe back. Like I took over running the space around 2009 after all the original members left. And, so uh, early. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, – like it was, it was like four or five of us at the time, and then I kind of grew to eight or nine, and then we went to a bigger. We moved spaces to a slightly bigger office, and uh, we were like thirteen or fifteen, and and uh, it was around two thousand seventeen. I mean, we we'd been toying it for with it for years, like about doing like an anthology or a studio book, because the original guys did one called uh, Rumble Royale, which hmm. I think they put out in two thousand five or four or something like that, and. Um, and uh, so we, we, there was always talk, and the, no one could ever decide about what they wanted. Like, should it be genre? Should it be this? Should it be whatever? And then one day, I don't know what my impetus was, but one day I was just like, guys, we're doing an anthology. Hmm. And they were like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, well, what's it about? I'm like, do whatever the fuck you want. I just do a story. Like, you got 10 pages or eight pages. Like, this is it. And, well, how are we going to pay for this? I'm like, I got it. I'm paying for it. Don't worry. <laughs> like, I, I was just like, we're doing like, the, I was just shooting down every like wall they were throwing up because I was like, you know, I had, I had the success of working on, you know, my Marvel work. So I had, you know, you know, I had a bank account. So like, you know, before that I was like dirt poor artist, but then I was like, but at this point I was like, okay, making some money. I can, I can bank this now. And I, I believe in our, what we're doing enough that, Put your we money can, where I'll, your rec- mouth I'll recoup the I'll recoup the cost, and yeah. then after that, we'll share the profits, and um, and that's what we did. So we we actually self funded the first three books we did, um, through uh, you know through my bank account basically, and then I slowly recouped every one, um, and yeah, that was that was just like uh, the, the, there was that joy, and everybody looked forward to doing something different in every mm-hmm. volume and. You know, and, and yeah, that's kind of where it kind of began to to grow, and you know, ideas began to develop for other things that we wanted to do. Um, and then it was obviously the pandemic, like with many other 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 people, like we were sitting there going, you know, I, I was seeing all these other kickstarters happen, and I know it, it was something we talked about for years uh, about doing a kickstarter, and you and we were like, you know what, let's let's do the let's do one. You know, and uh, we had we had already started Raid Four, but it wasn't ready yet. So uh, I know Dax was very eager to to have his book in print. So I was like, Dax, do you want to be the guinea pig? Let's do this. Like, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like, Fuck yeah, let's do it! Like you know, he jumped at the chance, and we dove in. We had like our team on our end. We had. Uh, Sam, myself, Kyle, Rob, all back there, and all the other guys who have helped retweet, share, and all that stuff. The, the the network is amazing, and we did it. Like we we were blown away by the you know how well we did with the first Kickstarter, and and since that one, that was I think that was around this time last year mm-hmm. when we did that that Kickstarter for his first volume, and you know. I remember the when, when the books arrived. He opened it up. He like smelled. It, he like mm-hmm. sniffed it. He was like, <laughs> like ah, it smells like my childhood. This is great, you know. And and um, yeah, it was, it was just wonderful to uh, after that success that we were like, there was another guy, Sheldon. He had his novel 
ready to go to print we're like hey you want to be number two like let's do this and we just it just started like building and then after his campaign we were like okay what's the plan for the new year what are we doing and you know and uh we had raid four lined up we had uh forceful volume two and my book i was like i'm i'm jumping in i'm like i'm this is what i want to do the writing's on the wall like i'm excited this is like i this is like you know when everything feel like points in the right direction you're like right. i'm getting on this train like no yeah. matter what like Follow I'm, not that leaving, I'm not letting this train leave without me basically <laughs> and um and yeah and then like we just started planning and like we we're like okay well then you know we have kookaburi volume two forest folk volume three raid volume five we have you know we have about six other projects we haven't announced yet that we're going to be for 2023 that are like, like two of them are blowing my mind that we're actually even doing them um, that's cool that's really cool and yeah and, and, then, and then we have like the sam's we're doing a cauldron collection which yeah. we have um we've talked about with him and there's a couple of other so it, it's just great the like because once once everybody began to see, see the success of what was happening you saw everybody else go yeah. well fuck i want to do that and like there was always a talk, but it's not until someone dives in the pool first that everybody kind of follows them along, right? Um, so it just it became it became infectious, where everybody's yeah. like, "Let's do this!" And you know, there, there's one thing to doing it by yourself, which is because Kickstarter it's a lot of work. It is a shit ton of work, and you know, but when you have a team behind you, that's as amazing as the team we have here. It's I'm not saying it's easy, but you have shoulders to lean on and help you along the way. Right. And, uh, so that's what happened. We, not only did like we get inspired, but the perfect team lined up, everything kind of lined up, like the dominoes fell into place. And, um, yeah. So like, yeah, we're excited. We're planning, like we got, like I said, we got two to three years planned of books and different ideas. And the other thing is you never know what else might show up. Like this is what we, this is just what we're thinking. But we could get thrown curveballs with other creators might show up and go, hey, let me, can I join the party? Or how about this project over here? You never know what might come your way while you're building something, right? So uh, we're always opening to listening and, and, and talking with creators and, you know, making things happen, you know. And uh, we have our goals set for this year, for next year, and uh, years beyond. So It's, it's <laughs> we'll so see. cool. It's so cool. It's be, I'm, I'm excited. Guys. This is like a, it's like I'm a, it's like I'm stepping on another, like a starship for the next ten years. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like I, Star Trek. We're going to go explore <laughs> different worlds, basically. <laughs> well, it's it's exciting to see, and uh, I'm I love seeing you guys succeed because it's deserved. Like you guys work hard, you support Thanks, each man. other, and you're putting out good product. That like when people invest in raid product, they're getting a good quality book. Right? That's, a, that's our hope anyways. Yeah, no, <laughs> we you guys hope, are not going to feel that way. <laughs> no, you guys are doing a really good job and and I'm rooting for you all the way. Oh, thanks um, man. Truly appreciate it. Before before we wrap up, I'm going to have some rapid fire questions just to okay. pop your head see if you could give me. What's the last good podcast you enjoyed? Oh man, I'll be honest, it's been a while since I've listened to a podcast. I go through phases. Um last one was uh this advertising podcast which I listen to. I love advertising uh stuff and marketing stuff so i'm completely blanking on the the guy <laughs> I, yeah and i'll fail this question right off the bat but it's, it's uh terry terry o'reilly's um that's on cbc 
but he does an advertising podcast. Uh, it's so interesting. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just love that kind of stuff, marketing and advertising. Okay. What's yep. the last good book that you've read? I know you've been busy, but have you read a, a book uh, recently? Could be a comic. Uh, the last, I mean, the last graphic novel I read was Bix by um, Scott Chandler, which was about a jazz musician. Uh, a great, great book. Visually silent. Uh, speaking of silent books early on, it's, it's, a, it's a very lyrical, silent uh, book. Um, I'm also reading, I, I love the Expanse TV series. Mm. So I, I picked up the books. I'm reading, uh, I'm in the middle of volume one right now. Um, it's kind of weird because it's so close to the TV show. It's kind of weird to read a book that's so close to what you just watched. But there's little nuances that make it different. But yeah. that's probably the, the, the current two things I'm reading. But um, as much as my girlfriend yells at me because I have like tons of pi- I have piles yeah. of books. I, I buy more books than I have time to read. But my, my goal is like eventually I'll get to them all. <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> Um, the last question was actually jazz related. What's your favorite jazz album? Oh man, um, I love Miles Davis' uh, "Sketches of Spain." That's a good one. Uh, it's a solid, solid uh, album. Um, there's a few more. Um, I have a couple of Art, Art Blakey albums and uh, Coltrane, but I think Miles Davis' "Sketches of Spain" is one of my favorites. I just recently bought that. It is a good one. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to school nice. me a little yeah. bit more on jazz next time we speak. Yeah, yeah. Because my wife is a, a pretty avid jazz fan. Oh uh, yeah, so much. Uh, that's the one thing I buy on vinyl. I just love dropping the needle on that just and letting sitting it play, back, right? Yeah, Glass exactly. of wine. It's great. Yeah. Well, one hundred percent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and uh, more and more success for Cuckoo Berry and all the other books that you've got coming out and for everybody working there at Raid. I really appreciate. Oh, the thanks, time. man. Thanks for taking the time to chat and, uh, you know, I had a great night and uh, thanks for the support, dude. Yeah, absolutely. We will talk soon. Everybody, thank you for listening. Rate and review the show and be sure to support Cuckoo Berry because you're going to get quality stuff, guys. Take care, everyone. We'll talk soon.